Hey, a couple of things. Business lunch is this week, Tuesday at noon in the ground floor. You can register online for that if you're interested at reslifeorg.event. And then Tim Elmore is going to be here in a couple of weeks. This is a really big deal. Uh, he really is the expert when it comes to millennials and under and uh, how to parent them with the mistakes that we make, how to correct the mistakes. Uh, I think he's got a dozen books, probably about a dozen books. I mean, I've read everything this guy does. He is amazing. He was uh, John Maxwell's ghostwriter for years and just, just an incredible, incredible guy. So please, if uh, you are a parent, think you might someday be a parent, are a grandparent, or know any of the follow those you know above, you j just be here. It is going to be absolutely amazing. You know, right now we're in a series of messages and we're kind of going verse by verse through a part of Proverbs where Solomon is talking about the importance of wisdom. In Proverbs 4, 7, he says, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. So, so wisdom is not something you're born with. It's something you pursue. And it's something Solomon says you need to get. Now, remember Solomon, the wisest person that ever lived, richest person that ever lived, greatest achiever of his generation. The Bible says he surpassed all the kings of the earth. Riches and wisdom. And he said, I've written for you 30 different sayings of counsel and knowledge. He said, I want to help you in your life. And we're going to look today at Proverbs 23, beginning with the sixth verse. He says, don't eat the food of anyone who doesn't want to share it. Don't long for his fancy food. He's the kind of person who is always thinking about how much it costs. Eat and drink, he says to you, but he doesn't mean it. And you will throw up what little you've eaten and <laughs> you will waste your words of praise. I think it's interesting that when Solomon says, I want to help you with your life, and here's 30 things I want to talk to you about, that he puts right in there, he puts the importance of unity right in the middle of it. He's saying when somebody's saying one thing, but they're really in their heart, they're not with you. He says, you don't even want to be around that situation. Now, what he's saying is this. He's saying that, that unity is important, right? It is, it's more than just agreement. That unity is a spiritual force. It's in Deuteronomy in the old Bible in the 32nd chapter that God is talking to Israel and he makes this statement. He says, one of you, because I'm gonna bless you, he says, one of you will chase a thousand, but two of you will chase 10,000. Now, now, that doesn't work mathematically, right? You, you should have, well, two just chasing 2,000, even with God's blessing. But there is something that takes place. There is a spiritual principle that produces a synergy that absolutely changes everything, right? And suddenly, the, 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 the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. It's even true in the natural we see it. Uh, there's a story that I, 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 I read a while back. I, I put it in my file. And, and here's what it says. It says that there's a, a contest in Canada where they're having oxen pull weight. In the first place, ox pulled 8,000 pounds. In the second place, ox pulled just a little bit less. 
So the two of them were yoked together. And then you would think, well, maybe they could pull 1,600 pounds. But when they put the two together, they pulled 2,600 pounds. When, when you begin to work in unity, something happens. And it's so true spiritually. Jesus said this. He said, again, I say to you that if any two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them of my Father who is in heaven. Now, when it says here, if any two of you agree, it really means to like make a symphony. Now, in a symphony, they're all playing the same part, but they've got different instruments. They've got a different function, a different sound. They're doing something different, but yet they're together. And, and really, it's kind of a picture. I don't know if you know this about God, but God is in unity. In the beginning, he said, let us make man. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But they're in perfect unity. They never disagree, and they're, they're constantly submitting to each other. In fact, the Holy Spirit doesn't even show up in power unless there's unity. Now, if you're in a group of people, and you say, do you all agree? And everybody shakes their head yes. But if there is somebody who does not agree, you know it. You, just, you, you sense it on the inside. You said, yeah, they're saying it on the outside, but on the inside, I know that they're really not in unity. Because unity, it is a spiritual thing. And it produces tremendous spiritual power. So when Jesus talks about any two of you agree, I think that's really the, the talking about the basic unit of a husband and a wife. When we pray together as a couple, there is just tremendous, tremendous power. And what God is looking for, where the Spirit of God moves, is where there's unity. The Bible says in Proverbs 6 again, it says there's six things that the Lord hates, and seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and get this one, one who sows discord among the brethren. One who sows discord among the, uh, the brethren. It is where there's unity that the power of God shows up. And there's even a natural side to unity, but there is also a spiritual side. Now, in Genesis chapter 11, they begin to build the Tower of Babel. And God comes down and says, look, they are all of one purpose. He said, they've got one purpose. They're in unity. And because of it, he says, there is nothing that they imagine to do that they will not be able to do. Now, you may wonder why did God, you know, not want them to build this tower? Well, there, were, there was really, there were two things. First of all, it was a tower for worshiping the stars. So God, God's not really big on that. You shall have no other gods before me. And then the second part was they were trying to disobey God's commandment to fill the earth. They're all trying to stay in one place together. But notice that God says, because they've got one purpose, they're in unity, there's nothing that they imagine that they will not be able to do. And, and what you need, whether it's in your home, your business, your church, whatever it is, you need to have unity. And when there's unity, you begin to move forward. In fact, uh, it's often said in, in business circles that momentum is your best friend. 
You get momentum, you go, that's, your, that's your best friend. And what is it? It's when everybody's working together in unity. That's why, you know, when we talk about it in, in our staff, we say it like this. We said, you know, some people are momentum makers, some people are momentum riders, and some people are momentum takers. And uh, when you get that person that's not hooked into the vision, that's dragging you the wrong way, you see, that's the person who either needs to change or needs to leave. Disunity will disrupt any organization, any home, any church, any endeavor. And remember, unity, it's a hard issue. It's something, it's spiritual. It's down on the inside. Uh, in fact, the apostle Paul, because this is so important to God, he says this, he says, you know, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel, he says. And he says, if I do it willingly, I have a reward. But if I do it against my will, I'm simply been entrusted with the stewardship. I'm just doing what I have to do. He's saying when it comes to how God looks at things, God looks more at your heart than what you do. He said, if I'm doing this willingly, I'm going to be rewarded. But if I do the exact same thing and I'm not doing it because I want to, because my heart's in it, he said, there's no reward whatsoever. I'm simply doing what I have to do. In other words, function and mission need to flow together. What you do needs to be in your heart for the right reason. So in you, when, when it's talking here about any two agreeing, it's saying you need to make that symphony. We need to have the right attitude in everything that we do, and it is especially true in the kingdom of God. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it's talking about when we sow into the kingdom, it says, let each one give as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly nor of necessity, because God loves a cheerful giver. God's not just looking at what we do, he's looking at our heart. He wants us to have thankful hearts. He wants us to have hearts that are, in, are, are, are full of worship and thanksgiving. Now in 1 John chapter one, it says, but if you walk in the light, like he's in the light, you have fellowship with one another. And the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, cleanses you from all sin. Now, many of you are going to go, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Now, this is saying, as a believer, as you walk in the light, as you're following God, it says you have fellowship with one another. So here's kind of how this plays out. You're, just, you're, you're doing your thing, and all of a sudden, you meet a Christian, and just all of a sudden, you just like, it's just like, bam, you click. How many of you ever had that happen? You just meet somebody and you just click, boom. And it wasn't, it wasn't because you knew them super well. There was just something in their heart that was the same as was in your heart. And the result was you just clicked. You had this fellowship. It's a spiritual thing. You've got the same heart, the same cause. You believe the same. You're both kingdom minded and you're moving in that direction. Now, the Bible says the same thing about David and Jonathan. After David had killed Goliath, it says that the soul of Jonathan was knit to David and he loved him as his own soul. I mean, it wasn't that much earlier that Jonathan had gone out and done something similar to killing a giant and attacking an entire garrison of the Philistines. They had the same heart. They, they were in unity. They were believing God for the same thing. They were moving in the same direction. In Psalms 133, it says, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, 
running down to the edge of his garments. And it's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Now, a couple things here. Notice, first of all, that, that the, the, the oil, the anointing that comes with unity, it comes from the head down. It doesn't come from the feet up. It comes from the head down. So he said, when, when there's unity, it says that's where the Lord commands the blessing. He commands blessing where there's unity. It's true about a church. It's true about a home. It's true about a business. It's true about a team. You know, you, the, the, you know, in sports, the most gifted team does not always win. But when they've got unity on that team, whoo, what a difference it makes. Now, God commands the blessing spiritually when we're in unity. Uh, I, don't, I remember sitting down with a couple, and I can't remember the exact uh, amounts of things, but this couple, uh, she was having migraine headaches, and they were just major migraine headaches. And he was just like, well, just believe God. You know, and she's like, oh, I just, oh, just, you know, I need, I need something. Give me, give me some, give me some drugs. Give me some drugs. And he said, why can't you just believe God? And she just because I hurt. I just want to get something. And I, I they, they came up and said, pastor, what do we do? He's like, what do I do with this woman? She can't believe God. And he's like, she's, he's mean. He's mean. So I, I said to him, I said, well, I said to her, I said, well, what can you believe? She says, well, I believe, normally she says, you know, I get these migraines, they last for a week. He said, but, but, but if I could take six Tylenol in a day and a good night's rest, I believe that I would be better. I can believe that. And so I said to him, I said, uh, would you believe that with her? And he said, yeah, yeah, we can believe that. Okay. So, so we prayed. She took six Tylenol had a good night's rest, and the migraine was gone. Instead of lasting a week, it was gone. All right? And I, I remember they came back later and they said, we're down to two Tylenol. <laughs> but you know what? When you're not in unity, when you've got division, where you're fighting, God's not commanding the blessing there. He's commanding the blessing where there's unity. And again, there's no place there ought to be more unity. I don't think it applies any place more than it applies in marriage. Uh, I know that here the, the, in, in church, but it, it's probably this way in different places, but the quickest way to lose your job is to get out of unity, to start spreading strife. That, that, that's the thing that, that the devil uses. And uh, a while back, I, I kind of made an acquaintance with a guy. And I ended up breaking off the relationship that we, that we had. I didn't want to hang out with him anymore because he was constantly spreading, sowing seeds of strife, sowing seeds. In fact, he said to me about this one guy, he said, well, you know, I know a lot of people, a lot of people are saying, that was his favorite line. You know, a lot of people are saying that he has a Ponzi scheme. You know, what do you think about that? You know, just planting those seeds, planting those seeds. And he was, you know, a lot of people are saying, and, and that, it seemed to me like that was his favorite thing to say. A lot of people are saying, in putting doubt, discord, and I, I said to him right away, I said, I know that guy and I don't know anybody who's more integrous than that guy. 
And he's like, oh, okay. But what he was trying to do was plant seeds. You see, that's how you plant them. You just, you know, everybody says, people are saying, what do you think? You know, sowing discord, sowing discord. It's just not somebody who stands up and I think that person is this, that, and the other thing. You know, just those seeds, just plant those seeds, plant those seeds. And they figured that's going to, it's going to grow. It's going to produce a harvest. So in unity, it begins at the head. It starts with the head. Talk about Aaron's head and his beard and down his garments. So in a family situation, what that means is this, that the parents are not supposed to get in unity with the kids. The kids are supposed to get in unity with the, with the parents. And I think that's probably one of the things that Tim Elmore is going to talk about because I know that he deals with it a lot. How about how so many families are ran by children instead of by parents? where the parents seem to lay down all of what their purpose is and try to follow the children where it should be the other way around. Now, in Genesis chapter 13, God, is, God has come to Abraham and God has said to Abraham, Abraham, he said, I'm going to bless you super, super abundantly. In fact, this is what he said. He said, I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And uh, whether you realize it or not, those two verses that I just read are the most important two verses in the entire Old Testament. Because everything that God did in the Old Testament, in fact, everything he's doing today goes back to those two verses. But he said, I'm, I'm selecting you. And, and God makes a covenant with Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Now, as God begins to do this, Abraham, like he gets super blessed. The Bible says that God blessed him with silver and gold and flocks and herds. And in fact, it says God had blessed him in every way. Well, as all this hap is happening, there is someone who's with him and it's his nephew, Lot. And, and what happened before God called Abraham out from Ur of the Chaldees to the promised land is Abraham's brother was married, had Lot, but then Abraham's brother died. And God said to Abraham, I want you to leave this town, but I want you to leave your relatives too and go to this place. I'm going to show you. But, but well, Abraham kind of, he, he obeyed, but he didn't obey because he took some family with him. And the result is that First of all, Lot gets blessed just because he's with Abraham. Now, I believe that where Christians work, the business ought to be blessed just because you're there. Just because you're there. But Lot gets blessed because he's with Abraham. And the Bible says that they both get so blessed that it is, they, they can't stay together. There's so much stuff. And there's strife. There's, there, there begins to be all kinds of strife between Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. So the Bible says this, Genesis 13, 8. So Abraham said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me, between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we're brethren. He says, isn't the whole land before you? Please separate from me. And if you take the left, then I'll go to the right. And if you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. Now, when there's strife, when there's division, 
the greater person is always the one who speaks up first. They're the one that move away from strife. Now, the truth was the only reason Lot was blessed at all was because he was with Abraham and he separated from Abraham and later he ends up with nothing. And Abraham ends up super blessed. But because Abraham recognizes how important it is spiritually to not have strife in your life and particularly in your family, he just says, look, let's not have any strife. He says, if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. You go east, I'll go west. You just choose. Now, the reason Lot's blessed is because of him. Abraham should have been the one choosing, but he is willing to sacrifice financially in order to move away from strife. And the Bible says that Lot looked and he looked in one direction. and It's the Judean desert. And he looked in the other direction and it says that valley was like the Garden of Eden. And it says he chose for himself. He chose for himself that beautiful garden. And he went down and uh, most of you know the story. He ends up compromising and compromising and compromising. But listen to what happens. And the Lord said to Abraham, after he had separated himself from Lot, the Lord said to Abraham, after he had separated himself from Lot, he said, lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your descendants. Everybody shout the last word. What is it for forever? And by the way, all the fussing that's going on in the Middle East right now, that's what it's about right there. It's about that right there. God said, I've given it to you forever. But notice when God comes and makes him a promise, as soon as he moves away from strife and division, God comes and speaks to him and said, here's your purpose. Here's your destiny. Here's how I'm going to bless you. You know, and, and we may need to look at our lives and say, do I have some strife in my life? Do I have some division in my life that I need to move away from? I think it's very interesting in, in Isaiah 58, where God talks about fasting, where you, you, you begin to seek God and put God first. And it says, here's what you're supposed to do. It says, and, and it says, and, and don't move away from your own flesh. In other words, it's saying, if you've got problems in your family, and you've got division and you've got strife in your family, he said, you need to take care of it. You need to take care of it because it's a spiritual thing. Spiritually, strife and division are deadly. They're deadly. They keep us from the blessing of God. They keep us from flowing in God's plan and purpose for our life. When Abraham moved away from strife and division, God says, here's purpose, here's blessing, here's my plan for you. Now, in Ephesians 4, verse 3, now this is talking to every one of us as Christians. It says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So here's what it's saying. It's saying if you want unity, it's going to be an endeavor. It's, saying it's not just going to fall off of, off of, the, of a tree like ripe cherries and hit you in the head. He said, if you want unity, it is an endeavor. You're going to have to work for it. An endeavor, probably not something that's going to take just a day to obtain. 
You're not going to sit back in a recliner and get unity. You're going to have to endeavor. You're going to have to work. You're going to have to put significant effort. You're going to have to be willing to sacrifice, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And remember, the devil, he is the one who tries always to sow discord among the brethren. Jesus tells the parable about a farmer who's gone out and sown wheat. And he says, you know, an enemy comes and he sows tares. He sows tares. You know what those tares do? Yeah, they look like wheat, but what they're there to do is they're there to bring division. In James chapter three, it says, for wherever there's jealousy, envy, contentions, rivalry, and selfish ambition, there will always be confusion, unrest, disharmony, rebellion, and all sorts of evil and vile practices. The devil wants us to be in unrest and disunity, in rebellion, in our homes, in our relationships, in our businesses, in our church. Really, Satan's number one tool is division and strife. So Paul says to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 16, he says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause division and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you've learned, and avoid them. He says, you know, when you find people that are constantly bringing division, they're constantly bring, sowing those seeds of discord, he said, just separate. Just separate from them. That's what, that's what Abraham did. He realized the importance of moving away from division and strife. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, which, listen, is talking to us as believers, beginning with the 12, well, let me just give you the 12th verse but I'll give it to you in the Living Bible. It says, why is it that he gives us these special abilities to do things best? Now, it's talking here about all of us as believers, what we're supposed to do. He gives everyone special abilities to do things best. It's that God's people will be equipped to do better work for him, building up the church, the body of Christ, to a position of strength and maturity. And then it says, till we all come to the unity, till we all come to unity, to that place where we're all together. And, and notice what it says. It says that God gives everybody an ability that they're supposed to use in the church so that we all grow together and come to the unity that we need to be in, in order for God to give the blessing that he wants to have on each of our lives. And I just want to challenge you and myself to look at our heart today. And is there some place in my marriage, in my home, in my relationships, in my business, in church, is there some place that there is discord and there's disunity? And address that issue. Be willing to say, look, we need to take care of this. I'm sorry. Or it may be somebody that you need to move away from just like Abraham moved away from Lot, but he gave him the choice. But be willing to do whatever is necessary to move away from strife and from discord. Because when you do, the blessing of God will come on your life in a dimension that that discord and that disunity has been keeping you from. And it will be greater than anything that you've seen before. That's exactly what happened to Abraham. Say, so would you bow your heads, please, for just a moment? If you're here today 
and you're not where you should be with God. And today you want to say yes to Jesus. You don't want to go through life alone. And I want to just say this, this is real. The Bible says as many as receive him to them, he gives the right to be the children of God. And you may be here today, but you're not, you're not right with God or you're not where you should be with God. You've drifted away. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand in just a moment. Some of you, if I were to say, what, what, what is your spiritual condition? You'd say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't know God. See, you need to come and you need to get right with God today. Everybody's welcome. Everybody gets in the same way. Everyone can meet the requirements. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. He's saying, I made the way for you to be right with God. I paid for your sins. And all of your efforts will not make you right with God. But he's saying, if you will receive me, this is what the Bible says, to as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be the children of God. If you will receive him today and give him all of your heart and life, you'll receive him. You will become a child of God. You will be forgiven. You'll be right with God. Jesus said you can begin to live the abundant life he came for you to live. And you will be on your way to heaven. So if you're not right, you need to get right today. I'm going to count to three. When I say three, please lift that hand. We're going to pray together. God's going to meet you right here. And when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. As you lift that hand, first you're saying, God, I, I know I'm not right. I know I've sinned. I'm coming to Jesus today to be forgiven and to be saved. One. As you lift that hand, you're saying, today I'm going to give Jesus all of my heart and all of my life. I'm holding nothing back. Two. Now get ready. As you lift that hand, you're saying, today I'm going to receive him and he's going to come into my heart. He's going to blood wash me from my sin, make me a new person on the inside, a part of your family on my way to heaven. Three, just lift that hand up. Pray with me. Pray with me. I am not right, but I want to get right. Thank you. I see that hand and 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 that hand. Others up in the balcony. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Someone else. Include me. Include me, Pastor. All right. I'm going to ask everybody, would you please just take one hand, place it over your heart, lift your other hand towards heaven, and let's pray together with those who just lifted their hands. Now make these words your own. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe that he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I'm going to live for Jesus every day. And I thank you. You've heard my prayer that I'm forgiven. My past is gone. You make me a new person on the inside, a part of your kingdom today and forever in Jesus' name. Amen.